Welcome to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win at real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel. Something that you think about in adulthood, and probably before you really feel like a real adult, is the process of reinvention. The person you were in high school is probably not the person you are in college. And once you graduate college, you probably go through that little caterpillar shedding its cocoon phase again, where you become a new person. You develop new characteristics. You develop new hobbies. You develop a new group of friends. You develop new ideals. So how do you really go through that reinvention process? How do you make the jump from the person that you were in high school to the person you really want to be and want to set yourself out on a career path to be? So I have no idea, (laughs) per usual, but I've brought in someone who I think has a really, really cool story of how she went from being voted most shy in high school to forming a company that has an awesome mission and awesome, awesome purpose. So I've brought Tammy Tibbetts to the studio today. She oversees business strategy, communications, and PR development and brand partnerships for She's the First, which is a nonprofit organization that sponsors girls' education in low-income countries and helps them be the first in their families to graduate. She is a frequent public speaker. She regularly keynotes events for corporate leaders, students, and philanthropists, and I already already said that she was voted most shy. I just think that it's pretty Mm -hmm. incredible. So she made quite a big jump. Welcome, Tammy. I'm so excited to talk to you today and about your growth and the advice that you have for all of the women and men listening to the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So being voted most shy, you say it's like the thing you're most proud of or your first most major recognition, but you've also gotten the Diane von Furstenberg's People's Voice Award. Um, You've been on 30 Under 30 lists in Forbes and Time. You've been one of the most creative people in business in 2014 from Fast Company. So you have a lot of accolades under your belt and you're pretty young. So why do you still, why do you say that most shy is your most treasured honor to this day? (laughs) Well, it's probably not an honor per se, but it's definitely the title that created the most change in my life because it was such a wake-up call for me at 17 years old to be like, gosh, this is how my peers, the people that I grew up with, remember me. And I um, I had enough global awareness to realize that my life was a lot better than other women around the world um, because I had freedom and I could speak my mind if I wanted to with relatively little consequence. You know, it wouldn't threaten my life, for example. And how, as a woman, how could I not use my voice, if, if not for myself, like at least to be a part of advocating for women's rights and equality around the world? So that's what set me on a path in college to be determined as a journalist to give voice or amplify the voices of other women, even if I wasn't quite sure what my own um, personal branding or my own sense of self was. That's such a mature way to look at that award at seven or that superlative at 17 years old. I feel like if I got most shy, I would be like, oh, okay. People think I'm quiet. Like I would never <laughs> connect it to like the global issue of women needing to to share their voices. That's incre- that's incredibly mature. <laughs> I mean, don't we all love to prove people wrong? Yes. I think I was also driven by that. I was like, just you wait and see. I'll turn this into a big irony. Um, yeah. So and you know, sure enough, over ten years later, I think I have, and even today, like in in my career in fundraising for She's the First. Um, 
you get so many no's and then you've got to get a hundred no's before you get one yes. And I've always, I've always been driven to, um, to prove people wrong. And that's the same spirit I think you see in our scholars too. They're growing up in a world where all, you know, the cards are stacked up against them and they're taking their chance, their scholarship to, to fight, to prove that yes, like they, they are leaders and they're going to to change their communities and their country. So how do you take something like being like relatively shy and quiet and soft-spoken in high school and and change that around? And like what was the process in college and and how do you look back at that now being the leader of this awesome organization and and why do you think you weren't just this way when you were in high school? Like why don't, you know, if this was if this has become such a big part of who you are, what why do you think you weren't so outspoken and and that way in high school? Well, I find when I speak with teenagers and teenagers have been a big part of my life um, ever since I was one, because then I went on uh, after I graduated from college to work at um, Seventeen magazine. And now she's the first. I have a teenage audience, both in scholarship recipients and campus chapter students. And I think that, you know, you're just naturally as an adolescent, less confident and less sure of yourself. But then, you know, hopefully you get to a point where you realize like, look, where am I standing in my own way? And, you know, do I have obstacles that are beyond my control, such as, um, you know, poverty, for, for instance, that's, that's beyond your control. Being shy is totally within your control. And that's something that for me, uh, and for many, when they go off to college, or maybe move to a new city, you're surrounded by people who don't know you or don't know what you were like. So you can take on not a different personality, but maybe a personality that's more true to your authentic self. And so what was it like to go to college? So to go from thinking that I'm going to prove them wrong and just you wait, you know, wait till you uh-huh. see what I'm going to do. What was what were those first couple of years of college like? What was that first cocoon shedding couple of years like? Well, I should first mention, while well, you mentioned, you said that I was still fairly young. I'm old enough that I didn't have social media when I was in high school. Yeah. Uh, I got Facebook so when I was lucky. a sophomore in college. And I think had I grown up um, in the social media era, teens today have a different opportunity to shape and, and to build a voice for themselves online, which isn't something that I, I really could have explored. So I think that helps teens today to build confidence and shape how they want to be seen because they can build that image um, on their social media channels, which can go in different ways for better or worse, but hopefully for the better. It's so funny that you say that because to me, I feel like social media is a hindrance to reinventing yourself and building like the way you want to be seen. Because if I look at if I look at my social media presence in high school, and luckily I've deleted a lot of it and made a lot of it private, but I would find it really difficult to become the new person I wanted to be in college or then become the new person I wanted to be in my postgraduate professional life, you know, from all of the garbage that I've accumulated online with my social media profiles. Like, I feel like that makes it so much harder to really reinvent yourself because people can, as they say, go left on you and then just kind of look up all of your skeletons and cobwebs. Right. Yeah, because social media gives you the tools in which to project a personal brand that you know is authentic. But if you don't know how to use those tools correctly, it will spiral you into a bunch of meaningless selfies. Right. Uh, so that's I like to talk and do workshops with teenagers to show them. You know, I do an exercise with with them uh, of creating vision boards, which is something that 
I did myself a lot, uh, particularly in my 20s of just cutting up my I had plenty of magazines as someone in the industry. So yes. I would cut up magazines and, you know, you respond to pictures and words on a subconscious level and you start tearing them out and then you see, okay, what are the commonalities here? What am I drawn to without even thinking? And then you start to piece that together and create themes, see patterns. And when you paste that onto a, a piece of paper or a board that you hang up in your room or office, wherever that you look at it every day, it keeps you on the on the path that you want to be on. So were you making those in college? Because I sort of interrupted you. Were, is that what you were doing in college when, like we said, you were kind of finding that new, finding your voice and, and that new path for yourself? Well, in college... I, I didn't fully finish answering your question um, of how I cut you I did, off because <laughs> I didn't have no. Well, I started with the tangent of how I didn't have social media. But one right. thing I did was I ran for cl- freshman class secretary. It was because mm-hmm. I always secretly wanted to run for student council, but I just didn't have the the confidence to do it in high school. So I ran for office and I lost. I was so uh, bummed. That was probably one of my more notable failures. But I gave myself credit for going door to door in the dorms to get signatures for the petition and giving a speech. Yeah, that's brave. And then in the end, I was a student journalist. So to I had to report on student council meetings. So it would have been a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. It all worked out in the end. But that was just proving to myself that, yeah, I could get in front of people and that that was a memorable thing I did. And then second, uh, in my sophomore year, I joined a, a professional organization called New York Women in Communications, which had a student membership. And they had events in the city where you could job shadow, you know, women in broadcast journalism and magazines and newspapers and see different career paths. So I quickly built a network of other women my age who wanted careers in media and mentors. And that really inspired me to like see where I wanted to be after college and to realize that media is such a powerful thing. And if I could get a job at a major media publication or website, I'd have the chance to help young women and women who were fighting for causes I believed in to get more attention for their world-changing work. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting to think that you you were voted most shy, meaning that you didn't really have a voice or you didn't use your voice to its fullest, and then you ended up pursuing a path in journalism that's all about voice and having a voice and getting thoughts out there and talking to people and putting yourself out there. That's I think that's so interesting. And we should also mention that you are also a first-generation college graduate in your family. And how did that, being the first person to graduate college, how did that then shape the person you became after college? Because I imagine there's another transition transitional period there. Yeah, it's it's ironic because in the moment, I didn't really dwell on being a first-generation college graduate. My parents, while they didn't go to college, like growing up, they were always, you know, knew that my sister and I would. And it's not something that you really draw attention to of being like, hey, like no one showed me the ropes of how to how to do all this. I'm just figuring out on my own, which is why now when I see the campus chapter program that she's the first has, first generation college students these days are more proud to identify as such, knowing that it creates this empathy and this bond with girls around the world who are also trailblazing in their families. 
And when you're the first, while it's scary at times, it's also an incredible opportunity to, um, you know, internationally to break the cycle of poverty in your family or domestically, while I, I don't come from a, from an impoverished background, it's been, you know, it's, it's been a great experience to take my parents along on this journey that's become She's the First. And uh, for them to meet She's the First scholars who've come to New York and uh, they've become greater global citizens through the work that I've stumbled into. And it's, it's gone both ways for all that they've taught me about life. I think she's the first is also teaching them about, about other cultures and, and livelihoods around the world. Absolutely. If you had earned a superlative and maybe you did in college, what do you think your college classmates would remember you as, or what do you think you would, you would have been awarded after those four years? Well, in college, I I went to the College of New Jersey, which is a great school, um, but I was oftentimes off campus my senior year, especially because I was interning in the city. So they really remembered me as the the magazine, aspiring magazine editor, Yeah, uh, because I was so focused on that. And I, I started a club at school for students who wanted to pursue careers in, in magazines. So I've always really been about camaraderie among peers and rather than thinking that um, there's this scarcity, you know, not enough jobs for everyone, uh, even today in, in, in fundraising, the thinking of abundance and that there are so many opportunities out there. And if we support each other, if we support girls around the world, you know, it just brings prosperity for everyone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about how She's the First really came about because I feel like we keep bringing it up and and it has such an awesome mission. So you were 23 and like you said, social media wasn't the huge, crazy, ever-present world that it is now. But your idea for She's the First very much revolved on like social media campaigns and, and tapping into that network for what would soon become She's the First. So so what was what was the idea? How did you come up with it and get it started? So when I graduated from college, the funny thing is, while I was really um, intending to do hardcore stories about, you know, women and their serious leadership and how they were changing the world, I ended up in a job as a prom website editor, (laughs) which was an amazing opportunity from a business and leadership perspective because I was launching websites, which means you're building a brand and you're writing and editing content, Um, you're managing writers, you're working with developers and project managers, designers, that really, it gave me the toolkit I needed to be an entrepreneur without even knowing it. But it was prom dresses and I didn't even go to my own high school prom. So it was, it was a little comical in that (laughs) sense. However, after hours, I was spending all my free time pretty much volunteering for an organization that I had written about as a college journalist. And that was an organization that was building a school in Liberia and providing scholarships to girls and boys who were abandoned and orphaned by the Civil War. So I was fulfilling my intention, uh, but in a different way, less as a journalist and more as a volunteer. That said, I didn't see myself having a career in nonprofits. I thought I could just lend my um, my digital skills to bring visibility to their work and help them fundraise. 
two years later after doing that, so this was in 2009, I had the idea for She's the First because I saw that my peers, millennials, wanted to contribute, but they couldn't be you know, major philanthropists. They couldn't afford tickets to the gala. However, I knew how relatively inexpensive a scholarship is to, for a girl uh, in a developing country. And that's something that a group of millennials can easily fundraise for together or crowdsource the funds, you know, in, in lieu of going out to dinner as a group, you know, if everyone chipped in 20 to 50 bucks, you know, you'd have enough for a scholarship. So that's how she's the first started was let me come up with a YouTube video that I can promote on social media and inspire my peers to give their, you know, what little disposable income they have to make a real impact. And that's another kind of just like another new branch is like going from, you know, you trained yourself, you were trained in journalism in college. And I think that this is something that has always scared me and always scares listeners and anyone who's early 20s, recent graduates is the process of picking a new career path of like abandoning, not abandoning, but like really diverging from what you knew and prepared for in college and taking a chance on something totally different and saying, I, you know, my degree is great and being a journalist in this example is great, but I'm going to do this cool new thing that's kind of scary and different and and just go for it. And I would imagine that that even if you're super passionate about the project, that's kind of an overwhelming idea to just say like, yeah, it's a prom dress job, but it's like a job that I know works and pays me steadily and there's an office I can go sit in and and to take a chance on a new idea seems kind of scary. Yeah. And I mean, there was a huge advantage to be working on a startup within a big corporation that had a lot of resources. So I, um, I was, I was really happy there. I feel like in the process of doing a, a dream job, another bigger dream job found me. And I'm a big believer in that. And I see my peers and younger women really stress over what they're going to do with the next year, two years, five years, 10 years of their life. And I, the right opportunities have a way of always finding you. If you put yourself out there and you really just focus on the skills that you have and see how they can be transferable in so many ways and keep maintaining that network of people who believe in you. And as they say, you know, think of it as a, as an ATM, you keep depositing into it. You keep helping other people out with their needs and their careers. And then the moment will come that they think of you for an opportunity that could be a job bigger than one you would have dreamed of. How did you kind of get people on board for this? How What was the process of growing a business by, you know, an organization by yourself? And like you said, you never pictured yourself in nonprofit. You pictured yourself as a magazine editor. So what was it like flipping that switch? Well, fortunately, I was never by myself because my co-founder, Kristen, she, in the very early days, like when I first had this idea for She's the First, I put it on my Facebook page and I asked, I had the basic premise of what the mission was. I wanted to launch it as a YouTube video. Would anyone like to help me? And Kristen saw that post. She was the only one to direct message me and say, yes, this is exactly aligned with my interests. Uh, at the time, she was still a senior at Syracuse University, and we had been connected because we only met once in person at the uh, award ceremony for 
New York Women in Communications, actually, they give out scholarships annually to college women. And I received a scholarship a couple years before Kristen did, and we were in the same alumni network. She's the first that it is what it is today because of our collaboration with each other. And now, you know, we have a wider, bigger team helping us. But I think that's a factor in terms of us being scholarship recipients. It just, it gives you this drive to pay it forward. And that's what excites me about the future, because I know every She's the First Scholar is going to do the same and have similarly exponential impact. And in it in 2015, She's the First hit its first million-dollar revenue year, which mm-hmm. is an amazing milestone. So where did you learn or how did you learn how to be a manager, how to, you know, the business? the ins and outs of running a business more just than running like a heartwarming, wonderful organization? You know, there's various factors, but I think the most important one is having the ability to form and maintain good relationships. Um, Because I didn't come into this like knowing rich people. (laughs) Right. Um, I, all of the contacts that I've made have been just organic. And it's when you meet someone of making a real personal connection, not with, you know, how big is their job title or how much money do they have, but who are they as a person? Like, what are they motivated? What kind of legacy do they want to leave on this planet? What kind of difference do they want to make in this world? And everyone ultimately wants to make the world a better place, who who I've met and who've gotten involved and she's the first. And I've been able to give them an opportunity to do that because of our incredible partner organizations that uh, have these girls who have such need, but such potential in the program. And when someone shows an interest and you can connect them with an opportunity, there's a lot of follow-up, like make sure that they see their impact. And I think one of the things I've my parents taught me more than anyone else was how to send good thank you notes. Um, <laughs> I used a, to have no, to that's hand a really write important notes. Skill. Yeah, to my aunt Marion when she sent five dollars for my birthday, or when my grandparents sent me money for birthday or Christmas. I always wrote thank you notes. So that's a big part of what I do now is making sure everyone feels appreciated for what they contribute. And when they do, you know, they keep coming back and they tell more people, and um, that's how it's the funding has has grown so successfully. In addition to the media attention that we've gotten, still I'm a huge believer in the power of media, and that's really enabled us to grow. Which And you had connections from working at Seventeen and working in the media industry, and you kind of knew how the machine worked, which is definitely mm-hmm. a bonus. Yeah, exactly. Like I said earlier, this is kind of about how the process, this whole episode, just the process of reinventing yourself every four or five years. My dad used to tell me that every five years, like you're never the same person after five years, like the person you are today and the person you are five years from now, like there will be a gap. I don't know how he came up with the number, but he always said that. So I'm just curious, looking back at your high school self, you know, what do you think about the transitions you've gone through and the person that you became today? And and what advice would you give to your high school self? You know, that's, that's such a good question. And I never really thought of it as reinvention so much as evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, not too long ago, I was home uh, in New Jersey in my childhood bedroom, and I came across my stash of diaries that I kept as a preteen. And I was reading things I wrote when I was 11. And, you know, you have this confidence 
when you're a preteen that we, we forget about that. But I actually had a lot of confidence and I wrote things that I identify with a lot now. Like I knew I had, I had good values and I, I wanted to make the world a better place. And then it was in my teenage years that I got sucked into the, the insecurity and Mm -hmm. not, not knowing what I wanted to do with my life and not feeling particularly talented at anything. So who I am today, I feel like there's my 11 year old self is really thriving (laughs) inside of me. And we have to remember, you know, no matter how old we get and we'll get wiser, hopefully that what would that little girl inside of you, like what would make her proud and delighted? So I feel, I feel really driven to make that 17 year old version of me proud to see like, yeah, you, you did have a powerful voice and you found it. And it's just a matter of, you know, peeling away those layers of uh, doubt that come up, not only when you're a teenager, but they pop up later in life too, when you're faced with a new challenge. And I still have times where I feel like I'm in over my head, but that's when, you know, I find it really helpful to, I wouldn't say I'm a big journaler, but I write down things. And when I let it out of my head and onto paper, it's just seems more manageable to me. And you realize like, oh, there's a solution for everything. You know, you just have to process it. I love the idea that we're all sort of, when we find our confidence, we're kind of tapping into our 10-year-old selves. I'm probably tapping into like my seven or eight-year-old self who used to sing Annie songs from from the show Annie, like at the top of my lungs when my mom was getting her hair cut in the salon. And there were like tons of people (laughs) around and I would like belt out tomorrow like nobody's business and – within five years, that confidence was gone. And I was like, couldn't, I couldn't speak to any stranger. But I think that'll be my new thing is I'm going to channel my eight-year-old self. I don't yeah. think I was as confident as you were at 11. But at eight, I was, I was, a, I was a singer and a dancer wherever anyone would let me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish I could have heard that. And it's true. <laughs> the one caveat being like, you need to have an education and a support system around you and your basic needs met. Right. Um, and fortunately, like, for the most part, like it sounds like you did, I did, and we know that's not the case for for girls born, you know, around the world. And that once they have that, once they have the opportunity to be in the classroom, get a quality education, and they have mentors and a support system around them, whether it's their birth family or not, then they're set up for the same kind of success. Absolutely. So why don't you? You're so inspiring. Why don't you tell people how they can get involved with or just learn more about She's the First? Yeah, well, that's easy because we're all over online <laughs> and social media. She's the first.org. And you can find us on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter, Facebook. And what I love about She's the First is that there's a place for everyone, whether you have a lot of time or a little, a lot of money or just, you know, $10, 100% of what people contribute to our scholarship fund goes directly to our girls and you can make a donation online or you could start a fundraiser or just use your social media channels to share one of the videos that we have of our scholars telling their own stories. That also goes a long way in just making people aware of why it's so important to invest in girls' education because when they graduate and they get a job, they're able to break the cycle of poverty in their family communities. They they're healthier. They, it just basically solves the world's problems when, <laughs> when girls and women are educated. 
Awesome. I love that. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tammy. Like I said, you're so inspiring. And I hope that everyone will go check out she's the first.org and learn more about your awesome organization. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics that you would like to hear on the show, I am totally listening. So tweet those ideas to me at Sam Zabel and I'll get back to you. We can talk about them and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our editor, Tim Einenkel, and our producer, Kristen Meinzer. And don't forget to subscribe and rate the show if you're enjoying it. The more people that rate it, the more people can find it. Thank you so much and I'll see you next time. 